This is session 20 of our study of the book of Philippians, called A Better Brand of Happiness. And this session continues our study of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And follow along as I read, Philippians 2.19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed. Because you heard he was ill, indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. In this section, Paul has been discussing his plans, his plans to um, continue his ministry to the Philippian church from afar. And my big idea for this session, this section was that Paul was planning to send Timothy to Philippi soon and to come himself soon too, but he was sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi immediately. And so we looked at the first subsection of this uh, big idea, the first half, you might say, of this paragraph, uh, last time in verses 19 through uh, 24, when we talk, and this is where Paul talks about his plans to send Timothy soon, and then to come himself soon once his legal situation in Rome is sorted out. And so last time we talked about uh, Timothy and um, not only the fact that he wanted to send Timothy soon, but also why Timothy was a trusted co-worker of Paul's. So that was all in session 19. In this session, we move forward and start in verse 25 to talk about Epaphroditus. And in this session, in this section, I should say, Paul explained that he was sending Epaphroditus immediately back to Philippi. So Timothy and Paul are going to hope to come later, soon, but not immediately. In contrast, Paul says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus now, and this paragraph explains why. And it begins by telling us that why Paul felt he had to send Epaphroditus immediately. Verse 25 says, I think it is necessary, and the phrase it is necessary is one word in the Greek language, but it's a word that's used when there's kind of an urgency, kind of a a, a serious importance about something. Whenever anybody says it is necessary in the Greek language, they um, are trying to emphasize that something is very important. And so that's what Paul, that's how Paul begins this section. He begins by saying, I think it's important to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then before he explains why it's important to him, he talks about who Epaphroditus is. 
And he says in verse 25, um, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then he gives three uh, terms or three descriptions of who Epaphroditus is. He says, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier. The word my governs all three of these words. They're all words of personal ownership or personal attention that Paul has, a personal attachment, I might say, that Paul has toward this man. And these three words go in a particular order. They go from the most general to the most specific. And they go from the broadest, and you, you might say it's not a weak word, but you might say the weakest to the strongest. Okay, and so these words are, again in verse 25, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. When Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, this is obviously an affirmation of Epaphroditus' faith in Christ. Paul is saying, I regard him as a brother in the Lord. He's talking about the family connection that all believers in Jesus Christ have. And without belaboring this point too much, I will say that um, when the Bible talks about the church, it uses two metaphors predominantly to speak of the church. One is to compare the church to the physical body that a person has. When the Bible says we are the body of Christ, it is talking about um, either how we function together to serve Christ the way your body serves your purposes, or how there is a diversity of um, there are a diversity of uh, parts to the body, and so each person in the body of Christ has a different role to play. All right, so one metaphor for the church is the body of Christ. Of course, that's not the one Paul is using here. He's using the second metaphor, which is a family. When the Bible describes the church, it describes it either as a body or as a family, predominantly. And the family connections are used in multiple ways. We refer to God as our Father, and the Bible refers to us as His sons, and that includes the females among us, because in um, the first century, sons are the ones who had legal rights conferred upon them. And so um, it's, not a, it's not a way of um, denigrating women at all. In fact, it's a way of elevating women. It's saying you women have the same uh, rights and you have the same um, inheritance that men have in Christ. That's why the, the designation of sonship is conferred. But when we refer to one another, of course, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the family metaphor is an important one in the Christian faith. It emphasizes that our connection to one another is not um, like other human connections are. It's not that we're classmates like you were with people in school. It's not even that we're friends. It's that we're children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means that there ought to be a bond between us that is deeper than there are with other human relationships. Your, your bond with other believers in Christ should be deeper than those of your classmates or your co-workers. It should be deeper than those of your neighbors, of the other citizens of the country in which we live. Any other ways in which any of the, any of the other ways in which we describe the ways people relate to each other are less strong than the idea that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, when Paul says Epaphroditus is my brother, he is taking pains to emphasize and to um, uh, to affirm his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the weakest of the descriptors that he uses for Epaphroditus. Because the second one he uses in verse 25 is this. He is my co-worker. Epaphroditus is my brother and co-worker. And uh, this one describes the idea that Paul uses with many people in the New Testament. 
that anyone who serves with him in any capacity um, has a particular uh, relationship. Paul looks at them like um, almost as a peer, like he's saying, we're working together for the gospel. Paul may have more authority, and he does have more authority as an apostle, but he understands that the work that is done is all done in service to Jesus Christ, that we're all slaves to Christ. And so, in a sense, any work that we do for Christ, we do together. And as by affirming Epaphroditus as his uh, co-worker, he is using the most common term that Paul used to describe anyone who served with him in any capacity. Later on in this, in this book, in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul is going to talk about two women, Euodia and Syntyche. And they, are, they were at each other's throats. They were having conflicts with one another. Okay, And Paul is going to say, you need to chill out and be nice to each other. That's my paraphrase. But he's going to call them my, my co-workers. He's going to use the same descriptor that he used here for Epaphroditus to refer to them. Okay, and so whatever interpersonal conflicts these women were having, um, they were people who were serving the Lord in the gospel. And Paul uses that descriptor for Epaphroditus. He calls him my brother and my co-worker. Third, he calls him my fellow soldier, my fellow soldier. And this brings in an unusual metaphor in Paul's teaching and in Paul's writings. It's not an unheard of metaphor, but it's an unusual one. And that is a military metaphor, obviously. And maybe um, commentators speculate it's because Paul was in prison. He was under the Praetorian Guard in Rome, and perhaps he was looking at soldiers all the time. And so this metaphor sort of came to his mind because of that. But um, I think there's a deeper reason, and the commentators see this as well, which is that, uh, as we're going to see later in this passage, Epaphroditus paid a significant price to serve the Lord and to serve Paul. And so who serves, in, in, uh, if you think of any profession, who um, is most likely to have to pay the ultimate price for the work that they do? It's soldiers. Soldiers put their health and even their lives on the line for the work that they do. And and um, Epaphroditus is going to demonstrate that same kind of commitment, as we'll see in a moment. And so Paul here goes to great pains to affirm Epaphroditus. Now, before we go on um, any further, the question that comes up is why? Why did Paul take such great pains to describe this man? Especially when we um, consider the fact that he came from Philippi. Epaphroditus was not a stranger to the Philippians. He was a Philippian. He came from this church. And we see that in this passage. Look at verse 25 again. He says, I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Paul here tells us, and we wouldn't know otherwise, that Epaphroditus actually is from the Philippian church. He's one of the Philippian uh, people, one of the believers who made up the Philippian church. And so he was dispatched from Philippi to Rome and he was dispatched for a particular reason, to serve Paul's needs. And we see even later on in the passage, in, uh, at the end of verse 30, just drop down there for a moment, Paul says, he risked, up, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so um, this, again, emphasizes that Epaphroditus came from Philippi. And so if Epaphroditus came from Philippi, why did Paul have to go to such lengths, and he's going to even go further than this, to talk about why Epaphroditus is such a great guy. And we don't really know the answer to that. We have to read between the lines a little bit to try to come up with an answer for that. Now, the phrase in verse 25 that says, you sent him here 
uh, to take care of my needs um, hints at part of the answer. Later on in the book of Philippians, we're going to find that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus along with a lot of money. They sent a financial donation to Paul in Rome. And the reason for that is this. Prisoners in Rome had to pay their own way. They weren't provided for by the Roman empires with, you know, three hots and a cot, like they say, right? A place to stay and three hot meals. You had a place to stay and it was a, it was not a very nice place. It was a prison. But all of your physical needs, your meals had to be provided by other people, had to be provided by people on the outside. And Paul's in Rome, but he doesn't really know anyone in Rome yet. He hadn't gone there to preach to the Romans and and so um, I'm sure word of his being there got to the Romans and they helped him somewhat. But um, Paul was in a very difficult place. And so the Philippians gather money and send Epaphroditus to keep Paul alive and to keep him fed and to keep him healthy while he's in prison. And as I said, part of this was a financial donation to him. Later on in Philippians 4.18, Paul is going to say, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And that means money, the money gifts you sent. And so Paul here refers to that when he says, when he talks about uh, in verse 25, him, uh, take, you sent him as your messenger to take care of my needs. And so scholars speculate that maybe one of two things happened here. And we don't know the answer, so you you can decide for yourself. One is that maybe the uh, people in Philippi were concerned. They sent Epaphroditus with this money, and he hadn't come back. And so they were concerned, maybe, that Epaphroditus had pocketed the money and gone off somewhere else and bought a villa in South Italy instead of going to Rome and uh, was living, up, living it up on the money that the Philippians collected for him. In other words, they're, they're, it's possible that the Philippians were concerned that he embezzled the money that they collected for Paul. And so Paul is going to great lengths to reaffirm and rehabilitate the reputation of this man, Epaphroditus, because people were casting aspersions against him and saying he was a thief. Maybe. We don't know for sure. Okay, so that's one possibility. The other possibility, on the other hand, some commentators wonder if uh, maybe Paul spent too much time or spent, spent, spent so much time talking up Epaphroditus because he came back to Philippi too soon. All right, so follow me. There's one line of interpretation that says people in Philippi were upset with Epaphroditus because he stayed away for so long. And the fact that he had stayed away for so long and there hadn't been much news about him made some people think maybe he was, you know, taking a long vacation on their dime. All right, so that's one issue. Maybe he's been away for too long. Other commentators say, no, he came back too soon. All right, and so Paul is saying, I'm concerned that you're going to think Epaphroditus hasn't done the job. And the point here is, um, when Paul describes Epaphroditus' work in verse 25, he says, you sent him to take care of my needs. And later on in verse 25, he says, to make up for the help, or in verse 30, I mean, he says, to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. That suggests that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Rome, and they expected him to stay there. And they expected him to come to Paul every day and do whatever Paul needed, bring him hot food, sure. But also, you know, if, he, if Paul needed someone to record letters for him, he would do that. If Paul needed someone to find him, a, you know, a heavy blanket, he would do that. If Paul needed someone to um, go off and send a message somewhere, Epaphroditus would do that. 
And so maybe the Philippians expected Epaphroditus to stay in Rome for a long time, and all of a sudden he's coming back much sooner than expected. And perhaps Paul worried that by coming home sooner than expected, people would criticize Epaphroditus for that. They would say, you're supposed to stay there and take care of Paul. What are you doing back home so soon? Now, we don't know which of these two it is. Either one sounds plausible to me. But whichever it is, there was something going on with Epaphroditus that was hurting his reputation among the church that he came from. And Paul says, I am sending him back to you, and I want to explain why. And in explaining why he's sending Epaphroditus back, he goes to great pains to rehabilitate Epaphroditus's uh, reputation. All right, That's what all these, these uh, phrases are about. That's why Paul says, he's my brother, he's my co-worker, he's my fellow soldier. Don't think poorly of Epaphroditus. Think well of him, because he's done a good job. Now, at the end of verse 25, we see the two phrases that describe Epaphroditus's mission. The two phrases that describe what Epaphroditus was supposed to do, and I've already talked about these a little bit, but let's go into them more directly now. At the end of verse 25, he says, "...who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs." This describes the fact that um, Epaphroditus was sent as a messenger. That means messaging the money, all right? So, um, you know, they did not have, obviously, electronic means of sending funds, um, they also didn't have messenger services and, or FedEx or anything like that. And so if you wanted to send money to somebody else, you had to send a person that you trusted with that money. And that person relayed the message, the message mainly being the cash that they were bringing. All right, and so this was one of Epaphroditus' jobs. It was to bring the cash that, that uh, the Philippians had collected for Paul. But the latter phrase in verse 25, the last phrase, whom you sent to take care of my needs, clarifies even further that in addition to bringing the cash, Epaphroditus was supposed to help Paul in whatever way that was needed, which is why, by the way, I think the second of those two explanations I gave you is probably the right one. It wasn't so much that the Philippians, I don't think, were worried about Epaphroditus having taken off with the money. I think they were worried that he came back so quickly, if anything, okay? Because they were supposed to be there to take care of my needs, Paul says. And so then in verses 26 through 28, Paul says, here's why it was so urgent for me to send him back to you. All right, let's look at those verses. Verse 26. Paul says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. In these verses, Paul clarifies why he felt it was necessary to send Epaphroditus back. And the reason is, uh, there's a couple of reasons here. One is for him, and two is for them, and three is for Paul, all right? So there are three separate reasons, all interconnected, that Paul gives for sending Epaphroditus back so quickly. The first one is for him, all right? We see in verse uh, 26, he says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed. The phrase that he longs for all of you obviously describes the um, homesickness, you might say, that Epaphroditus had for his friends and loved ones in the church. By the way, this is the only place where this man is mentioned in the New Testament, so we can't go anywhere else to fill in any details about him. Was he married? Probably. Did his wife come with him? We don't know. All right. Did his family travel with him? Did they stay there? We have no idea. But we, also, we do know that um, his, his Christian connections were there in Philippi, there in his hometown. And part of... Um, the issue that Epaphroditus was dealing with was homesickness for the church that he loved, the other believers in Christ who were his friends and his brothers and sisters. 
And so when Paul says in verse 26, he longs for all of you, he's saying part of the reason that I felt it was necessary to send him back was he misses you. He misses the fellowship that you have together in Christ. But there's more to it because he goes on in verse 26 and says, and he is distressed because you heard that he was ill. And so now we get a little insight that somehow word had gotten back to the Philippians that something had gone wrong with Epaphroditus' health, either on the way to Rome or when he got there. Something happened to him that made him ill. And somehow word had gotten back to the Philippians about this. Paul affirms that it's true. The rumors you heard, Philippians, are true. He was ill. He says in verse 27, indeed, he was ill and almost died. And so this tells us maybe even more than what the Philippians knew. You know how rumors are. People tell you that someone is in the hospital and you don't know why they're there. You don't know that if they're there because they're dying or because they have pneumonia. All right, Pneumonia can be serious, but it's also very treatable, right? And so sometimes people are hospitalized for a time to clear up a condition that they have and they're released and their general health is unaffected. Other times people are sick and they're very, very sick and the situation is dire and Perhaps the Philippians didn't know. It probably didn't. They probably heard some kind of word that, that Epaphroditus was down for the count, but they didn't know exactly how serious this was and whether or not he would bounce back. Paul goes on to say, yeah, you heard right. He was sick. And in fact, he was really sick. He was so sick, Paul says, that he almost died. But instead of his death, Paul says in verse 27, but God had mercy on him. Now, this is an interesting way of describing Epaphroditus's recovery to health. He says God had mercy on him. Now, ordinarily, when we think of the word mercy, we we think of the the ordinary theological definition for it is when God withholds from sinners the wrath that they deserve, all right? Grace is when God gives us a gift we don't deserve. Mercy is when God withholds bad things that we do deserve. Paul says here that Epaphroditus uh, received God's mercy, that God had mercy on him. And what does this suggest? Does it suggest that Epaphroditus' illness was somehow his fault? Probably not. In fact, I'm certain it doesn't. But what it does emphasize is that God is not obligated to heal any one of us. The reason why people become ill, the reason why we get ill with common illnesses like the cold or the flu, or come down with even more serious illnesses, like cancer, is because we live in a fallen world. And the effects of the fall are distributed out among the people of God and the people not of God. All right, Believers and unbelievers alike feel the effects of the fall. God does not target unbelievers with um, bad, worse illnesses or worse problems in general than he does with believers, nor does he torture believers. The Bible says God allows the effects of the fall to spread throughout society, and they are unequally distributed for sure. Some people die, you know, they, they're born with a serious illness, they live a short, tortured life, and they die. That's a, that's a terrible thing, right? And any one of us who lives longer than that, even if we are, even if we, you know, our life expectancy is less than what we thought, we still have it better than a lot of people who died in infancy or died in childhood or had much more painful or serious illnesses. And so the effects of the fall are not equally distributed, but they are distributed broadly throughout society. And it's because of sin, not because of anyone's individual sin, but because we're, we live in a sin-cursed world. And this is part 
of the curse that we endure. And so when anybody, whenever anybody recovers from an illness, God actually has withheld from, some, withheld from us what we actually deserve. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. We all deserve death immediately for the very first sin that we commit. And so for any one of us who is ill and recovers, we've experienced the mercy of God. Now this is quite different than the way most people think about illnesses and praying for for sickness. Many Christians have a sense of entitlement about our prayers for deliverance from sickness. And some people get really angry with God when he doesn't heal people that they've prayed for or heal themselves when they pray. But here Paul, by saying that God had mercy on this man, even though he was a genuine brother and a, and a co-worker and a fellow soldier, I mean, this is a great guy. And yet Paul says God had mercy on him by not allowing him to die, but instead allowing him to recover and causing him to recover. It should remind us to think about our lives differently than we often do. We are not really entitled to today or tomorrow. We're not entitled to good health. We're not entitled to long life or prosperity. These are gifts of God. They are acts of his mercy. It is, as the scripture says in the Old Testament, it is by God's mercy that we are not consumed. And so by using this language, Paul emphasizes the fact that we all live under the curse of sin. And we should be grateful when God is merciful to us and brings healing because we don't exactly deserve it. But Paul goes on and continues in verse 27 to say, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And I think what Paul is saying here is that Epaphroditus, um, it, it hurt Paul's emotionally to see Epaphroditus suffering like this. Here's a man that he had in some way had come to care deeply for because of his ministry from the Philippians to him. And yet he watched as this man came uh, under the influence of this illness and to the point where his life was threatened. And Paul is dealing with this in the context of being in prison and not knowing what his future holds. And when he stands trial before Caesar, how that's going to go, whether he'll be released as he hoped he would and thought he would, or whether he'll be condemned to death. And so Paul has a lot of um, very concerning things going on in his life. And part of that is his fear for his friend Epaphroditus. And so when Paul says God had mercy on him, he says he also had mercy on me so that I wouldn't So I'd be spared the sorrow of watching him be ill and the sorrow of him dying. And so this is why Paul goes on in verse 28 to say, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Why was Paul sending Epaphroditus back? For three reasons. One, for him. okay, Because he had... um, this uh, he was, had this distress, and he longed for the people. So Paul was sending Epaphroditus back for his own emotional well-being. Secondly, Paul was sending him back for Paul, okay, for Paul's own feelings. He wants to feel relieved about the tensions that were um, developing in the church over Epaphroditus's illness and his absence. Paul says, when, when you get him back, I'll feel better about this whole situation when he's safely home again with you. And also he wanted to, to do it for the, the Philippian people. Verse 28, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, I may be glad, and, uh, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. He wanted the Philippians to receive joy from having him back again. Imagine 
you know, what it would be like to send someone, a brother in Christ from our church, away to do ministry, and while they're there, they die. And it's someone that you're close with, and you never see them alive again. That would be tough. Paul says, I want you to have the joy of seeing him in the flesh, and not just clinging to life, but restored in his health. All right, and so this all explains why he's sending Epaphroditus back. Now, we understand, um, and most commentators um, believe this, and I think they're right, that this sending Epaphroditus back was bearing this letter, okay? That the reason, somebody had to take this letter back to Philippi. It could have been Timothy. That's why he brings him up earlier. But Paul is explaining, as I sorted through all of the, the options about bringing this letter to you, I felt it was best if Epaphroditus brought it back to you so that not only can you read the letter, but also you can have the joy of having him restored. I can feel less anxiety, Paul, that is. And Epaphroditus can be relieved of his homesickness and his distress. All right, so all of this is in the context of why Paul sent him back. Now look at verse 29, because here we come to some concluding words. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. There was something going on in the church with regard to Epaphroditus. Some people had come to some kinds of negative conclusions or at least had some negative ideas about him. We don't know exactly what those were. I told you about the options. But in some way, Paul seems to feel the need to emphasize to the church, don't look down on Epaphroditus. Instead, Paul says, you should welcome him like a hero. That's what he's saying in verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Don't, don't uh, you know, have your arms crossed when he arrives and say, you know, you got some explaining to do, boy. You know, what, what happened here? Don't do that. He's saying, welcome him with great joy. And then he goes on to say this, and honor people like him. And so Paul is saying not only is Epaphroditus to be treated with, um, with great honor, but also he's saying this is the type of person that you should look up to in the church, the type of person who should be um, held up as a model and even praised in the church. And why is that? Well, he goes on in verse 30 to say why. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. This is probably why Paul refers to him as my fellow soldier. Because he put his life on the line to do what the Philippians sent him to do. And in so doing, and the reason why he did so, the reason why he didn't come back when he got sick, maybe on the way, is because he understood that he was on a mission, a mission to do um, what the, the church had sent him to do, but it was God's work that they'd sent him to do. It was to keep the apostle alive and fortified so that he could continue to serve the Lord in preaching the gospel message. This is an important mission. And when Epaphroditus reached the place in his life where he said, I'm so sick that I should either stay here or go back home or whatever, but I'm not going to do that because God has sent me through this church to do a certain work. He is saying, I would rather lose my life to keep the gospel message going than to preserve my health and fail to do what God has charged me to do through this church. That's a soldier's mentality, right? A soldier says the mission of this battle or this mission or whatever is more important than my physical health. This is why soldiers jump on grenades, right, to absorb the explosion of them, killing themselves in the process, but saving uh, the rest of the men that they serve with. This is, in a sense, what Epaphroditus has done. He's saying, even if I lose my life, the mission is more important. That's why Paul calls him my fellow soldier. 
He goes on and finishes the thought in verse 30 by saying, He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Everyone in the church of Philippi wanted to serve Paul. Every one of them wanted to help Paul. But not all of them could leave their homes and their jobs and their ministry in Philippi to come to Rome and serve Paul. So this man was one representative for the entire church. And he took the responsibility that the church gave him very seriously. And the seriousness with which he took the responsibility they gave him was a reflection on the entire church. He was serving in their place. And that's why he took his service so seriously. And Paul, again, returning back to that last phrase in verse 29, where Paul says, honor people like him. Paul is saying this is something that the church ought to appreciate, maybe more than we actually do. And so in terms of applying this to ourselves, um, I think it's helpful to think through what's suggested by this man Epaphroditus' life. There are no commands in this section at all for us. Other than, I mean, the church is commanded to honor men like him and receive him with joy. But there are no fundamental ongoing commands in this passage. And yet, this passage reveals a lot, a lot that we should consider. One thing that we should consider is the cost of serving Jesus. Epaphroditus was so committed to the ministry that he had that he was willing to gamble with his life. That's actually part of the, the phrase, he risked his life. Is, it's a gambling term. Like He gambled with his life to provide, you, uh, to provide Paul with the service the Philippians couldn't. And yet, how many times as Christians do we quit serving the Lord just because it's time-consuming or because it's inconvenient for us? Because dealing with people is hard, and um, they're often unappreciative and often sometimes negative toward us. They call into question our motives sometimes, or criticize the way we go about the work of the ministry. How often do we get discouraged and quit when we're trying to serve the Lord? Because of adversity that's far less than what Epaphroditus suffered for his service for the Lord. So I think one application uh, for this passage for us is to think about our ministry. First of all, do you have a ministry in the church? And secondly, how serious are you about it? How much time are you willing to put into it? How much energy, how much effort, how much of your own personal um, resources and even finances are you willing to place into the work that God's called you to do? Are you willing to serve the Lord when you're sick? Or when you're not feeling 100%, let's say. Are you willing to do it when you're exhausted? I think that Epaphroditus's, uh, his um, example here calls into question the easy ways in which we opt out of serving the Lord. A second application I think that we come to is, uh, again, in verse 29, when Paul says, honor people like him. And this is something that has been a struggle for me, honestly, as the leader of this church. On one hand, um, Jesus was very clear that people who do anything for the Lord in order to receive the praise of men have dishonored God. And Jesus says they've lost their eternal reward. And so because Jesus said this, and because I think... um, Receiving honor is something that motivates people in a sinful way 
somewhat. And I don't want people serving because they want honor. I maybe have gone too far and have not said enough about people who serve the Lord faithfully in our church. Paul's command here, honor people like him, is a, is a, is a rebuke to me. It's something for me to think about in our church. Have I taken for granted people who've served the Lord and, and have paid a price for it and have not, uh, not um, give them enough public praise as Paul does here for Epaphroditus? There is a balance, obviously, between exalting men, exalting women, exalting people unduly over exalting Christ. And one thing I've tried to do in our worship services, and you know, this is why I never really talk about other people in the church. I don't acknowledge people's birthdays, or I don't even really talk about it when people are in the hospital in our Sunday worship service. And that's because I want, at least for this, the one hour or one hour and a half that we spend worshiping, I want it to be solely focused on Jesus, on the Lord, as much as possible. But I also consider and, and think about passages like this, and maybe I haven't done enough to honor people in our church who have served the Lord well. A better brand of happiness comes when we stop being so concerned about our own, our own selves, our own health, our own well-being, our own financial stability and prosperity. And when we start thinking about God and what it means to serve Him, Serving God can be costly. It can be dangerous at times. And yet if it's God's work and if it's an eternal thing that we're contributing to, isn't it worth the cost? Isn't it worth the hassle? Isn't it worth being criticized to serve the Lord? And furthermore, a better brand of happiness means understanding and appreciating those who serve the Lord well. Noticing people who do go the extra mile. Maybe especially in ways that are unseen and do serve the Lord and at least taking time to acknowledge their ministry for the Lord and giving honor to them accordingly. When we learn to serve the Lord sacrificially and when we learn to make heroes of those in the church who do serve the Lord sacrificially, I think we will encounter a better brand of happiness.